Good morning. Well, here we are on a very cold morning, and it's nice and roasty in here. I'm very happy with that. In the winter months, actually throughout the year, out of consideration for those of you uh, who are worshiping, and also to keep the heat in here, we're keeping those main doors in the center closed. There's a sign now, uh, so we're not being rude when we ask you to use the side doors. It just keeps the heat in here, which we're very happy to, to, to maintain. It's a little cold in that foyer when people are coming in and out. This morning, we continue in our series of studies in the book of Genesis. I'm going to grab my Bible. You can grab yours. We are in the book of Genesis, and we are in chapter 12 and in verse 10, where we left off last week. As you know, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, book by book, we go through the Bible on Sundays and on Wednesday evenings. That distinguishes us as a church and as a ministry. We are committed to, much like the CBS team shared, we are committed here at Calvary Chapel to going through God's word book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. I remember asking our leadership team, and Joe, Pastor Joe will remember this, Pastor Sal will as well, uh, when we were first planting this church, I asked the question, I had been in New York for many years, my wife and I had been ministering there nearly 20 years, and I asked, why does North Jersey need another church? Because to me, there were so many already. And the answer I got from our leaders and those who were committed to planting this church was, well, we're looking for a church where we could have great fellowship, where we could have contemporary worship, but most especially we want to be in God's word chapter by chapter and verse by verse. And so that's what we've been doing for 20 years. And it's been a blessing and we're grateful. So here we are in Genesis chapter 12. We've been looking at the life of Abram. He is not Abraham yet. He will be Abraham when God changes his name. But Abram is an example to us because he is the father of the faith. He's on what we could call a faith journey. And we are all on a faith journey as well. Amen? We saw last week that he came to a place where God had given him many promises. And he needed to trust in those promises. And he needed to surrender to the will of God. And so last week we saw he built two altars. In surrender and worship, by the way, the word worship is literally a surrender to God. Praise is saying the truth about God. For everything you could say about God that's true is praise. There's nothing unpraiseworthy that you could say about God that's true. So worship is different. Worship is a surrender of our hearts to God. So he builds an altar, and in that altar we see the surrender, the surrender of Abraham's heart. But it would, wouldn't it be wonderful if on our faith journeys... We were just called out of the world. We made our way to where God has called us, and we put our trust in him and surrendered to his will, and that was the end of the story. As little kids say when they get to the end of a storybook, the end. It's not that simple, though, is it? There are opportunities to trust God, and and he brings opportunities into our lives that are difficult. That's one of the things, one of the realizations I came to as a young Christian, that this isn't going to get easier. This isn't going to get easier. Anything you do in life that's of any value is going to become more challenging as you grow. And so, we see Abram now. He is in the Negev, or toward the Negev. He is in the land that God has called him to be in. He is not away from the will of God, and yet there's going to come a a, a trial into his life. 
And he's going to be faced with a choice. Do I trust God in the trial or do I try to fix it myself? And we're going to see that, of course, many times the people of God, including the father of the faith, Abram, we try so hard to fix our own problems instead of just trusting God. So that's our practical message today. Let's get into it, but let's begin in a word of prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us an understanding of your word that is not only just logistics or history or archaeology or even theology, but rather one that is practical and can help us to walk more closely with you. We need your Holy Spirit to give us application, but also to give us understanding and wisdom that we might be obedient in your call. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we get into chapter 12, verse 10, we see that Abram decides to leave the land of Canaan for Egypt. Now, throughout the scriptures, Egypt is always a type of the world, the bondage of the world. It ultimately will become a place where the children of Israel are brought into slavery. And we'll get to that as we talk about the book of Exodus in the future. But for now, we know that Abram, he's living in the land, but he doesn't have possession of the land. He really doesn't own any land. He's, he's a wanderer. He's a Bedouin. He, he's a person like a nomad that just sort of wanders in places where people are not at the moment. And so he has this promise from God. God has promised him descendants. He doesn't have any. God has promised him the land. He doesn't have it. God has promised him riches and all of these wonderful things. And at the moment, those things haven't really happened. But he has a promise from God. And he trusts in that promise. But now something takes place. Look at verses 10 through verse 16. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. And as he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this this is his wife. They will kill me, but will let you live. Say that you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. Well, when Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that she was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram very well for her sake. And Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, men servants and maid servants, and camels. That didn't exactly go the way that God had planned. Because Abram found it difficult to trust God in a trial. If you're on a faith journey, you have no doubt multiple times, maybe even at this very moment, reached a place where things got so difficult, you were faced with an opportunity to trust God in the difficulty and an opportunity to try to fix the problem yourself. And like so many of us, we try to fix the problem ourselves. Say amen if you've ever been there. We acknowledge our defeat in this area because so many times when the trial comes, our first inclination is to respond to it. One of the things I was sharing with my wife yesterday, one of the things I've grown in over this last chapter in my life, as I've been living in the present, I realize there's simply nothing I can do about the past. The, The future isn't anything I can control, and it's not something I have to deal with today. So I have to live in the present, and living in the present requires that I trust God in the present. For the future and with my past, but in the present. And as I trust God in the present, 
There are times where I have to choose not to worry about tomorrow. That almost sounds biblical. Jesus said not to worry about tomorrow because the evil is sufficient for today. In other words, there's enough to deal with today. Why are you worrying about tomorrow? Well, the reason you're worrying about tomorrow, quite frankly, is you lack faith. The reason I worry about tomorrow is I lack faith. Because if we truly trusted God, we would spend zero time worrying about tomorrow. So I'm growing in this area. I've still got a ways to go. When faced with something that's in the tomorrow zone, I choose to say, you know, I'll deal with that tomorrow. Now, as someone who grew up having a five-year, 10-year, 30-year plan, it was very difficult for me to learn this, and I'm still struggling with it, but I've had some victories recently. I've been reminding myself that, you know, I have an opportunity to deal with tomorrow, tomorrow. And I only have one opportunity to deal with today, today. And I'm focusing on today. My life has changed in so many wonderful ways. And I'm, I'm, I'm at peace. And, I, and, I, and I'm not as anxious. And I'm not focused forward. I'm focused inward and, and, and outward at the moment. Here's what happens when we look ahead. We have to face the reality that God is either faithful or he's not. And Abram and Sarai, later Abraham and Sarah, are going to have many, many opportunities, as we'll study in this book of Genesis, to make that choice. And until they do trust God, they don't. They do trust God until they don't. And you trust God until you don't. And faced with that opportunity... There was this severe famine in the, in the place that the Lord had called Abram to dwell. So God calls him to a place, and then there's a trial. And when I first experienced trials in the place God had called me to be, I thought, I must be doing something wrong. Isn't the goal to not have any trials? No, the goal is to trust God and to live a life that's holy. And in order to do that, I must surely go through trials. I figured that out pretty early on. And over the last... nearly 40 years, I've determined, you know what? I'm going to have trials. So what am I going to do with those? Well, the answer is to trust God, but it's a lot easier to trust God, believe it or not, when the trial is so huge that you can do nothing about it. That is, how do you trust God with the situation in the Middle East? Well, you just say, well, I trust the Lord's in control. I don't see anyone flying over there and trying to deal with that or Ukraine. Some people do that, but for the most part, we lift up our hands to God and we say, well, we have to trust God. Or how about the situation in our nation where half of our citizens have lost their minds? I mean, there's no other way to put it. Some of the things they're supporting, some of the things they're promoting, some of the protests I see, and maybe it's less than half, but it seems like it's a lot, a lot more, doesn't it? The media certainly has. and They've lost their minds. I mean, I'm not even going to get into the insanity that they're promoting. What we say, generally, you know, I have to trust God with that. Now, some of us get all political, and I'm a very political person. You don't hear me talk about my politics in the pulpit. But I'm an extremely political person. But here's the thing. I also recognize I can't do really anything to change anything. So I pray, and I trust God with the situation. Now, that's one thing. Dealing with these large situations is one thing. But what do you do when it's a situation that you might actually be able to wiggle out of? So you lost your job. And, you know, you you have a severance, and you have a couple months to find a job. That's the most dangerous time. 
Because you have just enough control to be dangerous. Oh, I'm thinking about moving where it's a little warmer in the winter. You're probably thinking of that this morning. Personally, I've identified South Carolina as the perfect place to be. Doesn't mean I'm going, but I'm just thinking, it's right there. It's not too hot, not too cold. Ah, Goldilocks, it's just right. But here's the thing. Am I called to be there? No, I'm not. It's a nice place to visit, perhaps, but it's not where I'm called to be. That's the struggle when you have just enough control to be dangerous. This is the problem for Abram. He's been trusting God with things that are so much beyond his ability to control. That's actually not too difficult to do. When it is within your control and you have to make a choice, that's when it becomes dangerous. So there's a severe famine. You know, it's amazing what you'll do when you're hungry, right? Ever been to Trader Joe's when you're hungry? You'll buy all sorts of things. Oh, I never tried these before. Maybe I'll eat them in the store and then just bring the empty bag to the cashier. You know, it's crazy what happens when you go shop. Don't go shopping when you're hungry. He's hungry. There's severe famine in the land. It's severe. And this is where God has called them to be. He's faced with a choice. So he travels to Egypt, the type of the world, to escape the famine in the land that was promised to him by God. Did God make the promise? Amen. Is there a famine in the land? Yes. What do you do with that? Abraham has decided to fix it. We got any fix-it guys here? DYI? I'm all about fix-it. Something breaks, I almost get a little excited. Go on to YouTube, watch a few videos. I can fix that. Been working on some projects around the house. And boy, I love fixing it. I put in a light switch this week. I know it's a simple thing. I've looked at it about 20 times. Make sure it still works every morning. I like fixing things. And you probably do too. But see, the Lord did not call him to leave Canaan and travel to the land of Egypt. This is on his own. This is on him. Now, God knew he would do it, but he gives him the opportunity, and he fails because, listen, the Lord allowed his faith to be tested by allowing this famine in the land of promise. And you are going to have famines in the promises of God. That is, God is going to lead you, bring you to some place, and it's not going to work out the way you expected it to work out. It will work out. But you're going to have to trust God in the process. And boy, is that difficult? Well, it's, it's impossible. But when you can't do anything, you throw up your hands and you say, oh, well, I guess we better pray. But when you can, oh boy, that is a moment of danger. I think it's significant that he never built an altar to worship the Lord while he was in Egypt. See, that's a place of surrender. So he's not in a place of surrender. Now, he was smart enough, wise enough to know. He had wandered quite a bit. He knew that there was significant danger in the place that he had chosen to live. That is Egypt. He knew there was danger there. He went there anyway. Isn't it amazing as Christians what we'll choose to do? I mean, we know it's a bad thing. We do it anyway because standing still is not attractive to us. We, we don't want to do nothing, so we do something. And when we do something apart from the will of God, it's always a bad thing. And sure enough, there was danger. Sarai was a beautiful woman. By the way, even at the age of 65, a beautiful woman. Now, keep in mind, she probably had the appearance of a 30-year-old woman, given the current lifespans, but still, a beautiful woman. And a papyrus document from ancient Egypt does confirm that his concern was valid. There is historical evidence, archaeological evidence, that tells us that this is the kind of thing that could happen. They could kill Abraham and take his wife. This is not... uh, just an unjustified fear, as we see. 
So he concocts a plan. You ever concoct a plan? That's a good word, concoct a plan. To spare his own life at his wife's expense. Thanks, hon. Why is it that our wives often suffer when we come up with a concocted plan? Men. He instructed Sarai to lie about her identity and pretend to be his sister and not his wife. Now, this is an example of a half-truth. A half-truth is a whole lie. I want you to remember that. A half-truth is a whole lie. Because she was, in fact, his half-sister. But that doesn't justify his deception. He knew that even if his plan worked out, it would cost him his wife or his life. He was willing to sell her into slavery in order to survive. Now, I know what you're thinking. What on earth is going on here? This is the man that trusted God to leave Ur of the Chaldeans. The man that lived in Haran and then left Haran and his family there and traveled, and Haran was uh, northwest Mesopotamia, traveled to Canaan, built two altars, surrendered to God. How could this be? Well, let me ask you a question. Have you ever trusted God? If you have, say amen. Have you ever not trusted God after you trusted God? Amen. Okay, so now you know. This is normal. This is actually normal. Because we're all in this place. I like that man that said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I love that. I believe, but not at the moment. I believe, but just not this. We've all been there. His fears were justified. And his plan succeeded in sparing his life. And that's the most dangerous thing about our plans. When we fix things, and we actually do fix them, we think, huh. God didn't even need my help on this one. I got this. I'm on this. It's all going to work out just fine. Until it doesn't. And it didn't. Clearly, think about Sarai. Didn't work out for her. So what's going on here? This is the best that we can hope to achieve when we don't trust God. Disaster. Disaster. Now, Sarai pretended to be his sister. Then she's taken by Pharaoh's officials. Uh, Abraham was wise enough to know that this would happen, but not wise enough to stay where God had called him to be and trust him. He was richly rewarded by Pharaoh for selling his wife into slavery. And it it has been confirmed, by the way, the animals he received, this is an important point, all these animals had already been domesticated at the time that this was recorded, when this history was recorded. So, what does that tell us? Well, Contrary to the opinions of many cultural evolutionists, domestic animals seem to have always been domesticated. Why is that important? Because that goes contrary to the evolutionary narrative. When they came off the ark, there were domestic animals. When they got on the ark, there were domestic animals. And now there still are domesticated animals. Now, why is that important? Because God's word is true. Amen? So, the Lord intervened, and we're so grateful that God does intervene, right? And that's the beauty of trusting God. And then even when you don't trust God, because you trusted God at some point, you belong to him. He's going to work in your life through that trial. He better because, boy, if he doesn't work through trials, he's not going to be able to work much in my life or your life. So he does work through the trials. That's not justifying not trusting God, but it's reassuring to know that God works in our lives despite us. Amen? I think that might even need a hallelujah. God works in our lives despite us. That's the great comfort that I have in this crazy world with all of my many failures. To know that God is faithful. 
To know that he who began a good work in me will be faithful to complete it until the day that Jesus Christ returns. That, to me, is the best part about trusting God. That when I don't, and when I'm not faithful, God is still faithful. God is faithful. So, what happened? Let's look at verse 17. But the Lord, oh my goodness, how many times in our lives have we gotten to a place where we made a disaster out of it, and then, but the Lord, but the Lord, praise God, but the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife Sarai. So, Pharaoh summoned Abram, what have you done to me? He said, why didn't you tell me she was your wife? And why did you say she is my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men. And they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. This is interesting. Because there's one thing I can't make sense of. And it's the grace of God. Because God is so gracious here. You would not have been this gracious. I don't know how gracious Sarai was with her husband. Probably not very gracious. But God is gracious. And he's merciful. And he loves you. And when you trust in him and then you don't, you can still trust in him. God is faithful. And that's the message this morning that really you need to take home with you. Because listen, God is faithful. He intervened to deliver them, Abram and Sarai, from the consequences of their unfaithfulness. There are consequences to our unfaithfulness. And sometimes we have to suffer them throughout our lives. But God still intervenes on our behalf because he's faithful. How did he intervene? Well, Pharaoh and his household were inflicted with a plague in order to get his attention. So everyone starts getting sick. You know, lately, there's like two or three uh, plagues going around. There's the, what they call the 100-day cough. And it's not an exaggeration. The 100-day cough. It started in, in, in other parts of the world. And I, when it was in the UK, they, they, that's a, a nation that fought a 100-year war. I'm glad it's not the 100-year cough. But it's the 100-day cough. Um, and, and you just keep coughing and coughing and coughing and coughing. And, and many of you have had this. And we haven't seen you for weeks. And it's because you don't want to be in service coughing. And you're not even contagious necessarily. You just have this irritation. Okay, that's a plague. Then there's this flu that's going around, right? The fever, kind of a normal flu. Uh, there are a couple other maladies that people have been inflicted with as of late. And we don't want to share those things, right? So we stay home, hopefully. We stay home when we're not well. But isn't it interesting that when you get sick, God uses that sometimes to get your attention? I don't know about you, but there have been times I couldn't get off the couch. Maybe a stomach malady or, or a fever. And during those times... You really can't go anywhere or do anything, and and God gets your attention. So sometimes God works the sickness. In the case of Pharaoh, it was through this plague. His household, everyone's affected. Now, it didn't take long for Pharaoh to realize something's up. These were very superstitious people to begin with. But Pharaoh must have realized that this was connected to Sarai. And so he investigates a little further. Um, She was probably, and, and this is why I suspect that he figured it out right away, she was probably the only healthy person in the palace after she arrived. So imagine this woman comes into your harem, right? And almost immediately everyone starts getting sick except her. That might get your attention, right? I think that's probably what happened. It doesn't say that, but it does say that Pharaoh and his household were affected. Maybe she was sick, but probably not. And so he he figures it out. 
An immediate investigation revealed the truth about Sarai. And Pharaoh asked Abram a series of questions. You see all those questions? A series of questions that he needed to answer for himself, really. And these questions were many. And notice in verse 18, what have you done to me? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? All good questions. Now, if I go, go over those questions and I put myself in the place of Abram, uh, what have you done to me? A terrible thing. A terrible thing. Pharaoh and his household are suffering because Abram did the wrong thing. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Because he was afraid and he didn't trust God. And why did you say she is my sister? For the same reason. So all this comes down to a terrible thing happened in the lives of other people because this man didn't trust God and gave way to his fears. And that's what happens in our lives and throughout our lives and among our family and friends. When we're not trusting God, terrible things sometimes happen in the lives of those around us. Maybe not to us. Sometimes they happen to others. And that's not good. And we're supposed to be a testimony to trusting God. And so when we don't trust God, others are not going to trust God either. And in fact, many times they suffer because we're not trusting God. So, he had to answer these questions for himself. And I I wish I could tell you that Abram learned the lesson, but this isn't the last time he's going to have to learn to trust God. But he does eventually learn to trust God over many years some 25, really. Abram had brought a plague upon an innocent group of people, and he did so through deceit. Lies will always have consequences. Deceit has consequences. He didn't tell Pharaoh the truth because he didn't trust in God's protection. Are you trusting God? I hope you are. But if you're not, there are consequences in your own life. There will be consequences in the lives of those you care about and those around you. He lied because he feared for his own life, and so he's willing to surrender his wife, anything to stay alive. But Pharaoh returned Sarai and sent him away from the land of Egypt. Now, he, he received all of this blessing from this man, and then this man received a curse, and now he has to leave anyway and go back to the place he's supposed to be. Wouldn't it have been better if he just trusted God in the land that God had called him to be? I mean, did he get anywhere? Did it work out? He only made it worse. I have to say, though, you know, it's like when a child does finger painting. What a mess. Well, they, of course, love their creations. They go on the fridge. But out comes the paint and the water, and it's a mess all over the place. And, and then after the creation of whatever that child makes, the parent comes along and cleans it all up. And then you have this beautiful finger painting that you can place on the wall or on your fridge. And I think many times our interactions oftentimes amount to finger painting. We make a lot of mess, create something, and then God has to come in and clean it all up. But he does, amen? I'm not saying you should test God in this regard, but I promise you God is good at cleaning up. He's a good parent. He's a good father. So, that's kind of what happened here. Well, let's go to the next section here, and then we'll, we'll close it up for the day. There's one other thing that Abram needs to learn. First, he needs to learn to, to trust God. He, he learns by not trusting God. But there's something else that we need to understand. And it, 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 it's connected to the lesson with Egypt, because he went to Egypt and he realized something. I, I need to stay out of the world. I, I need to separate myself from wor- the world and worldly things. 
I can't be connected to the world. I need to trust God, and that means that I need to stay where God has called me to be and not get involved in things I shouldn't be involved in. But sometimes God calls us to separation that's a little bit more painful. Now, I want you to go back with me last week. He's in Ur of the Chaldeans, and they have to separate from that, what was probably a beautiful, successful city, to go to a place called Haran. They named it Haran, but it was in northwest Mesopotamia. And while they were there, they were together. At least they had each other. But then at a certain point, his father dies, and he separates from the rest of his family. And now it's just Abram and Sarai, their servants, and Lot, who's like a brother to Abram. Now, he he lost one of his, actually, uh, probably both of his brothers, right? So at this point, this is his family. This is it. This is it. So his one brother living in Haran, his other brother dead. He brings Lot, who's like a brother to him, a family member. It's his nephew. But but now he's going to need to separate from Lot. And he's smart enough to realize that he has to, but don't think for a minute that this was easy for Abram. It's been a step-by-step process where Abram is getting to the place that God has called him to be. And aren't you glad that God doesn't just lay out a list of requirements and say, you got to do these 20 things? You know when you you go for a loan, it's been a while since I borrowed money, but thank God. But um, you go for a loan, there's all these conditions, right? You sign this and you sign that, especially if it's a car loan or a, a, a mortgage. And you sign all these conditions. You don't get the money until everything's signed. You, you have to meet all of the conditions. It's an arduous process. But with God, he doesn't make us get everything right before he works in our lives or before we receive his blessings. Along the way, step by step, point by point, we, we come to the place where God has called us to be. That's why we call it a faith journey. You're not going to reach it all in one day. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon with an obstacle course. So he makes a decision to return to the land of Canaan. That's a good decision. Let's read in verses 1 through 4 of chapter 13. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him, and Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and in gold. And from the Negev he went from from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. So that was a roundabout trial. He kind of went in the wrong direction, suffered for it, was delivered by God and came back. So in a sense, he's back to square one. And that's good. Anytime you go through a trial, even though you suffer consequences, when you make it back to square one where you started, it's a good trial. Are you with me? I don't like trials, and I wouldn't say that there's good trials or bad trials. There are trials. And if that trial affects you in such a way that you learn your lesson and you come back to the place you were before you had that trial, that's probably a good result. Now, we think what would be better is if we didn't go. Is that always true, though? Because I think we learn so much through our failures. I really do. You know? I really do. It was Thomas Alva Edison who said, I failed my way to success. He also said, sometimes you don't know what works best until you've tried everything. 
Now, that's not theology, but it's true. You oftentimes learn so much more by making mistakes. So Abraham and Lot, he was along the ride for for this journey. He returns to the mountain between Bethel and Ai. Abram and his household returned to the Negev in the land where God had called them to dwell. But he retained all the riches that he received from Pharaoh in exchange for Sarai. I suppose if Pharaoh was probably afraid that the plague would remain if he took them back. And so he just sends them, take everything I gave, just get out of here. Now there's a principle here. There are riches to be had in our mistakes and our trials. They're lessons, let's call it. Here you have literal riches, but they're lessons. And you're going to go through trials, and you're going to fail. So can I give you a little advice? Don't waste your trials. Don't waste them. Make the most of them. You're going to get it wrong until you get it right. You're going to get it wrong over and over again until you don't. So what are you going to do with that? Learn from the lessons. Here's the thing. If you keep doing the same thing wrong, then you're never going to learn. But if you make a mistake and you learn from it and you self-correct, then it was worth it. There's riches in learning through failure. There are. And this is, this is true for every aspect of life, but especially our faith walk. And this is what happened here. Abram and his household made their way back to the mountain between Bethel and Ai. He went from place to place without finding a sufficient place to settle. He finally decided to return to the last place that he had worshipped the Lord. There you have it. When you're in a trial and you're failing and you've made mistakes and you're suffering consequences, return to the last place that you had worshipped or surrendered to God. You ever been lost? Isn't the worst when you go to the mall and you can't find your car? And you think, how could I lose my car? Parking garages are sometimes even more difficult. I remember the first time we went to Disney in Florida. And I remember the, all the signs and the people saying, remember where you parked? Goofy nine. Goofy nine. Goofy nine. At the end of the day, after having a spectacular day, was it Mickey or Minnie or Goofy? I can't remember. You're lost. You're not fine in that car. If you're lost, or if you've lost your way, or you think, I don't know where I am, it might be time for you to remember where you were when you did know that you were where God had called you to be. It's kind of simple. You know the undo key on a computer? I will do a lot of coding, and, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll do a lot of IT stuff, and I'll try something and it doesn't work out. I'm like, I just want to reset. I just want to reset. So I'll revert or I'll undo. And boy, I just get a fresh start. You need a fresh start this morning? You want to revert? You want to undo? Go back to the place you were when it was well done, good and faithful servant. Go back to the place you were when you knew that you knew that you knew that you were in the center of God's will and doing exactly what he called you to do. If you're not there today, it's okay. Undo. Revert. Go back to the place of surrender. And that's exactly what he did. This is the place he had built a sacrificial altar to worship the Lord, where he had called on the name of the Lord by faith, and he once again calls on the name of the Lord by faith. I'm trying to get through to you today. One very important principle. We don't praise our failures, but we're going to fail, so we might as well make them count. 
we might as well make the most of our failures. There are riches to be had in making mistakes. Learn from them and go back to the place where God had calls you to, has called you to be. Okay, so here's, here's the more difficult thing. Abram has to separate from Lot, and, and that's going to be difficult, as you can imagine. Look at verses uh, 5 through 13. Here's what we read. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, and, but the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herdsmen and the herdsmen of Lot, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herdsmen and mine, for we're brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Then we read, Lot looked up and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like, like the land of Egypt towards Zoar. And this was before the Lord had destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tent near Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. So there's wickedness in the east and Lot decides to head toward that wickedness. But notice that was his decision. Abraham was willing to go wherever he needed to go to fix the problem. And that's okay. And as it turned out, he was exactly where God had called them to be. So Abram and Lot were forced to go their separate ways. They had both become extremely wealthy and prosperous. These are good problems to have. There were too many flocks and herds for the land that they were sharing. So they had to separate. And this was beginning to cause problems between their households. They're also surrounded by the Canaanites and the Perizzites. That limits their options. They can't just go wherever they want. They have to go where no one is. So Abram graciously gave Lot the opportunity to choose where he would like to dwell. He makes a great choice at that time. The plain of the cities of the plains was a great place to be at that time. It really was. Not morally, but financially. Agriculturally. There were good things in the plane, and he chose that. I remember when I was in Boy Scouts, we did all kinds of crazy things, but one of the things we did is we cooked outside, you know, on an open uh, flame, on a fire. And uh, I remember one particular camping trip. It was so cold. We had a cabin, but we were doing a lot of things outside, and I never really liked doing, out thing, doing things outside in the cold. Uh, but I do remember that we were going to have steaks on the last night of our camping trip, and I remember the scoutmaster coming out and saying, okay, each of you are going to share a steak. Your partners, one of you cuts the steak, the other chooses the piece. It's like the wisdom of Solomon. I mean, we would have got out scales, you know, precise measurements, calipers if we had to, to make sure that he didn't get more than me. Because if you obviously cut the steak and it was 60-40, you're getting 40. That's the way it works with boys. There's no mercy or grace. I want the bigger steak. So you never seen so much precision as when those steaks were cut exactly in half. That's what happens when you have to share, generally. What Lot did was he said, I can go right or left. Well, right's not looking so good. Right? I mean... 
West, you have all of these people. And the land isn't as fertile. So I'm going to choose this way. And I think Abram knew probably more than anything that Lot was going to choose that because it was the obvious choice unless you're called by God to be somewhere. You're going to face many times in your life, like Lot, where you're going to have an obvious choice. It makes no sense to do God's will. It makes all the sense in the world to do what you think is the best thing to do. And are you going to choose Sodom? Are you going to choose the plains of the cities? Are you going to go to the place that's easy, where the grass is truly greener? Or are you going to trust God and stay where he's called you to be? Now, Egypt didn't work out real well. Sodom's not going to work out any better. In fact, it's going to work out a whole lot worse. And Abram ends up staying in the place that God has called him to be. This would be a learned lesson. Now, he's going to have to learn it again. Have you noticed that? You oftentimes have to learn lessons multiple times. But at least he learned this. This is where God has called me to be. I'm going to stay put. At least for the moment, I'm going to stay put. Okay. So, Abram graciously gave Lot the opportunity to choose where he would like to dwell. And of course, Lot chose to dwell in the well-watered plain of the Jordan east of Abram. This was once an incredibly fertile, disc-shaped area north of what is called the Dead Sea. Now, it's called the Dead Sea. It wasn't then. It was compared to the Garden of Eden and the fertile banks of the Nile in, the, in Egypt. So it must have really been something. Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, Zeboim were later destroyed. But before they were destroyed, this was a wonderful place to be. Zoar, which was the fifth of the cities, was the only one of the five cities within the plain of Jordan that was spared, as we'll see in future studies. And the reason Zoar is mentioned here in this text is to give us an approximate location of this now desolate area. Because anyone reading this wouldn't believe that that area could have once been so fertile. And so Abram dwelled in the mountains while Lot dwelled in the more populated plain. Lot settled his household near the city, the wicked city of Sodom, which is notorious for so many sins. And this is Lot's first step toward actually living in the city of Sodom, which again doesn't work out well. If you're at all familiar with the book of Genesis, you know it's a disaster. Now Lot's going to have to learn his own lessons. And that's one of the things you're going to have to accept. You learn your lessons, others learn theirs. You can't control them. Parents, your children, like Lot, are going to make their own decisions at some point and do things that you don't approve of. And when they do, God is just as faithful to them as he is to you. Amen? You're going to have to trust God with that. See, there's another point here. Abram still had to trust God with Lot. And sometimes it's even more difficult to trust God with others. Amen? Parents, it's probably your greatest fear. How am I going to trust that my daughter or my son, when they get their license, is going to drive and not get into an accident? How am I going to trust when they go away to school that they're not going to get into trouble? How am I going to trust that they're not going to do the wrong thing once they can make their own decisions? The same way you trust God now that they're not going to stop breathing in the middle of the night. Parents, you've probably been there, right? We've had the kids stay over and it gets really quiet and I think, are they breathing? You know, especially when they're really little, you have those fears, right? 
It never stops. There's always a new opportunity to trust God. And so Abram now has to trust God with Lot. Brothers and sisters, you need to trust God with your kids, with your parents, even with your spouses, with your jobs, with everything. You need to trust God. And Abram did. He's going to have to intervene. We're going to see that next week. But, but he trusted at this moment. He said, look, you got to make your own decisions. You got to do what you got to do. You do you. I need to do me. Okay. And what happens next is very encouraging. Look at verse 14, and then we'll close in this chapter. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, lift up your eyes from where you are and look north and south and east and west. All the land that you see I will give you to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abram moved his tents and went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he built an altar to the Lord. And there we have worship. There we have surrender. He's at a good place again. Maybe you're in a bad place this morning. You can be in a good place again. It's not over. There's still opportunity to get it right, even if you've gotten it wrong. You see, the Lord promised to give the entire land of Canaan to his descendants, by the way, forever. Forever. He encouraged him to look in every direction from the center of the land. By the way, and I've I've received a few questions about this over the years, but one recently, I think it was Helen, who had questions about this. This is an unconditional promise to the descendants of Abram. By the way, Abram doesn't have any offspring right now. But the promise is that he would... And this is an unconditional promise to the descendants of Abram. His offspring will be in the land forever. The Lord promised to make his descendants as numerous as the dust of the earth, encourage them to walk through the entire length and breadth of the land, and this is an unconditional promise concerning the descendants of Abram, that he would not only have numerous descendants, but they would dwell in the promised land. Now, I want to remind you, there were more than just the Jews that came out of Abraham, right? The Ishmaelites and others. But we know we're looking at the descendants of the promise, right? We're looking at what ultimately would become the Israelites and then the Jews. And yes, there have been times in their history, the diaspora, where many Jews were not in the land. There were always some presence, but now the Jews are back in the land. And since May 14th, 1948, they are in control of the majority of the promised land. Not all of it, but a large percentage of it. And it grows every time they're attacked. They they receive more and more control over the land. So if your question is, who belongs there? uh, You know, it's really, that's almost the wrong question. The right question is, is God faithful? Because how is it that the Jews are still in the land? Well, they are because God is faithful. And and the descendants are as the dust of the earth. So God has fulfilled the unconditional promise to the descendants of Abraham that they would have this land forever and that their descendants would be many. And so what Abram does, Abram travels south and camps in Hebron. This becomes his home. The Lord had confirmed his promise to give his descendants this land. And Abram responded through surrender by building a sacrificial altar to worship the Lord. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. 
So yes, it's true. The Israelites, through Abram, were given the land in perpetuity, forever. That's not to justify any atrocities that Zionists may have uh, done over the years. It's, it's not to justify the war that's going on right now in the Middle East. It has nothing to do with any of those things. It has to do with a promise. God makes promises. By the way, just because God promises to do something for someone doesn't mean they're right. It just means that God is faithful. So I'm not even taking sides. I think it's one of the d- dangers of, of, of the Christian pro-Israel stance. Is And I am. I am. But... Let's understand something. You can't put on blinders and just, it's never as simple as this one's right and that one's wrong. It's never that simple. It's simple in this regard. God is faithful. Amen? So what you see going on in the Middle East proves that God is faithful. But God loves the world and he loves all people. So I'm not going to get into the politics because that's, that's not even the point. Just know that the reason the Jews are in the land today is because God is faithful. It has nothing to do with their faithfulness, by the way. Uh, you should have gotten that by, map, by now, right? You, you see that? They're stiff-necked, hard-hearted people, and they're still there because God is faithful. By the way, you're stiff-necked, you're hard-hearted, but God is faithful. And you, like Abram, you, you need to come to the place where you build another altar. And it's the altar that's built after you go through a trial. After you have to trust God with other family members, or you, or you have to trust God that God can work through your failures, you still need to build an altar. So let's do that in our hearts. Let's surrender our will to God, knowing we've made many mistakes, but knowing that God is greater than them all. Amen? Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this portion of scripture. As we apply these truths to our faith journey, we recognize we have those failures. We have those opportunities to trust you, and we don't we oftentimes end up right where we started and that's a good thing so here we are again lord again (laughs) asking that you'd help us to commit our hearts to you to build that altar after the trial in the trial in the trusting for others where we can see the disaster that's coming there's wickedness in sodom and The people we love, they're heading right there. Ultimately, they might live there and make their life there and suffer for it. And yet we have to trust you with others, those that we love. And we have to trust you in our failures. It starts again with building an altar, a place of worship and sacrifice where we acknowledge that you're on the throne, commit our hearts and our lives to you, Lord, there are many that are living in Sodom, some that are still living in Babylonia, if you will, those that have not really committed their hearts, and I pray that they would understand the truth of this lesson today, that they would acknowledge that you fixed everything when you came and died on the cross for our sins. You rose again on the third day. You're coming again to judge the living and the dead. But that is the salvation that we have in you through Jesus Christ. That is the true fix-it solution. And you did it yourself for us. We acknowledge you, put our trust in you, and ask you to help us to give our hearts to you each and every day. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.